celebrity Let your weary mind be free And someone kind of famous who you can't see It's time for sleeping with celebrity Hello sleepyheads and welcome to Sleeping with Celebrities. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. On this audio program, as you may know, we invite our guests to step out of the limelight and step into the nightlight. On this show, for one bedtime, I don't want them to bring their A-game, but rather their Z-game. It's a podcast where you can sleep, you can simply relax, you can take a break from stress and intensity. Just ahead, we'll be sleeping with the musician and singer Stephen Page. He's going to talk with me about presents he received at his 1983 bar mitzvah. But before all that, I invite you to settle in and get comfortable while I tell you about another show on the Maximum Fun Network. Sleepyheads, there is something important that I want to tell you. October is National Co-op Month, so we're celebrating Maximum Fund's brand new co-op and others with an event called Co-Optober. We have special events all month long, starting with a live Q&A on YouTube where Max Fun worker slash owners will answer your questions on Friday, October 6th, and much more to come. We also want to tell you about some incredible limited edition merch, that's short for merchandise, exclusively available to Max Fun members until the end of October. If you're already a member of Max Fun, you've shown that you care about our shows and what we do. If you also want to help launch us into this new cooperative era and show off your support, go ahead and get yourself a hat, pin, or shirt. We worked with some of our favorite artists to make these things very special. For details on merch, all of our upcoming events like Meetup Day and more, visit MaximumFun.org slash Co-Optober. That's C-O-O-P-T-O-B-E-R. And happy Co-Optober. And now for our guest, Stephen Page. Stephen is a Canadian musician that even non-Canadians are familiar with. That's because he was a co-founding member of the group Bare Naked Ladies. He now makes music as a solo artist, and his latest album is called Excelsior. I'll point out that if you visit Stephen's website, stephenpage.com, and that's Stephen with a V, you can not only buy this album, you can buy it bundled with various types of top-notch merch. I assure you, dear listener, that I don't throw top-notch around lightly. It is not a term I use willy-nilly. 
two-time Grammy nominee Stephen Page. Welcome to Sleeping with Celebrities. John, great to be here. Thank you. I like to start off our conversations with a question or two about sleep. Do you fall asleep easily yourself? These days I have been able to fall asleep easier than I used to. I used to kind of just toss and turn endlessly. and uh, But I am kind of a... I think this stems from being on the road and having the, the being alone in a hotel room. So it's like you have to turn the TV on mm-hmm. uh, in order to kind of feel any like I, I, or to quiet the the anxiety voices in my brain. So I'll sure. uh, I'll turn the TV on, and then the worst is when you wake up at four a.m. and MSNBC is blasting. Mm-hmm. So you have to like make sure that you if there's a sleep function on the remote control to program that for like thirty minutes. So you don't have that infiltrating your brain all night. So even like at home now, I was still kind of watch TV, but I watch TV with my headphones on while my wife actually just goes to sleep at a regular, mm-hmm. normal human hour. And I like toss a regular her. person. Yeah. Are there particular television programs that you find it easier to fall asleep to? Well, I mean, the best, the best kind of, I think it's a very common one to, to turn off your brain to is uh, either the uh, the Great British Bake Off or mm. old episodes of Antiques Roadshow. Those are good ones. But I don't want to miss anything when it comes to the Bake Off. So I kind of like it's it's the first show to watch. So you watch that episode because you want to be able to see how it turns out. And then you put on an episode of something like um, Antiques Roadshow because it's so easy to fall into the trap of true crime because it's everywhere now. True crime is just, that is the the format. And it's entertaining enough, unfortunately, that uh, we can kind of uh, numb ourselves to it. But our our dreams don't get numbed. (laughs) That's that's the thing. Have you ever had an episode of Antiques Roadshow or the Great British Bake Off fade into a dream you were having? Uh, I think I dream about the roadshow all the time. I think that those locations, especially the you know the actual British roadshow, because um, they they're kind of timeless. Like the American ones, they do a great job of they'll show you an episode from 1997, and then they'll just sh- have updated pricing on it, which is quite nice. You can see how things have have either um, increased or decreased in value. Makes it feel like they've they've been able to recycle content. Really nicely, but with the British one, I have I have no idea what the values of these things are, and uh, so they could show one from 1985 and say it was worth something was worth two thousand pounds, and I'm thinking two thousand pounds in 1990 1985 currency versus what's the exchange versus 1985 dollars versus current dollars, and then I'm instantly asleep. But then I find myself doing exchange rates. Uh, international exchange rates constantly in my sleep. <laughs> Your sleep. Do you have Do you have dreams about about changing money and and uh, possibly using travelers' checks? Oh, are we are we getting ourselves into the bar mitzvah portion already? Well, it might, <laughs> I mean, you you brought up 1985, so it it seemed like a pretty natural transition. Yeah, maybe there is something innate about there, or it's something it's something historically ingrained the money changing that uh, that that has be- was was foisted upon my people a couple of thousand years ago 
not not my intention, but but certainly <laughs> certainly a yes and moment that we can go with. Exactly. I think we just kind of tumbled down the hill into that. Yeah, yeah. Well, set the stage for me, if you would. It's 1983. Stephen's bar mitzvah is is taking place. What are we seeing in the room? What is what is the world of this bar mitzvah? Well, so I, I was bar mitzvah at Temple Sinai in Toronto, and uh, it, you know it's a quite a beautiful um, modernist uh, uh, sanctuary there. So I would be on on the bima on the platform where the Torah is kept with the with the uh, the rabbi and my father. And uh, various members of my family, and then looking out at my friends and family out in the congregation, while I sang my Torah portion, and then uh, and then uh, sang my Haftarah portion. So these are two big, you know, big bits of memorization I had to do, and then uh, which I still pride myself on, although I couldn't repeat them now. There are mm. there are parts of them I could probably repeat, um, and then I had to give a speech uh, talking about. The what I learned from that week's reading, which I've also forgotten. So I've forgotten the the kind of the important spiritual parts and what I've remembered is who was there and what they gave me. When you needed to sing those portions, did you take particular care as a singer yourself to to nail those and make those entertaining, or are you just trying to get through it? I don't think I was at a stage where I thought about entertaining yet. Um, I was probably too a little. I was, I was a very shy kid, but mm. when it came to things that were performance like that, I didn't really get nervous. Like I, I in some ways, I probably get more nervous now. I, uh, I, you know, I've done a lot of in my adult life. I've done a lot of um, national anthems. Mm. Uh, you know, I've been invited as we've traveled around both with bare naked ladies and as a solo artist, being able to sing. National anthems uh, at sports events all the time, but I find as I get older, the more I feel like there's more at stake because I've realized that everybody knows that song. Where the, the you're doing your tour portion, there's only a very small number of people in the audience who can actually sing along with you and know exactly because it's quite an amazing thing the way that the the way the Torah is written, like actually how it's actually written by hand. Uh, that there are are guides to how these words are to be chanted. Um, now, I learned mostly from reading off a photocopied piece of paper, and then my bar mitzvah teacher had made a tape that I would listen to and sing along with. So f- to go back to your question, yeah, I think my for me it was about getting the melody as correctly as possible. Um, I'd been to enough events where I'd heard kids kind of like – you know, sing it in a in a kind of a tone deaf, lumpy kind of way. And you know, there's a thing. There, there's this like for old men in the synagogue or old men at the the seder table or anything like that. You'd always kind of get this kind of this uh, mumbling way of going through the prayers, which now I love. When I hear that, I feel so nostalgic and connected. And at the time, I just thought, "Come on, guys, it's a song. Sing it." So I really wanted to sing it correctly. And that really, but I think that like learning the the music really helped me learn the words because I think otherwise I wouldn't have gotten, the, gotten the, the words right. Now, when you have a bar mitzvah, are the, is it the same group of people who are at the ceremony as are at the 
the celebration afterwards, or is this one of these wedding type of things where some people come to the ceremony, some just to the reception? Excellent question. Um, because it, it, we, there were there are kind of three parts to this. You do the ceremony, uh, which is part of the uh, Saturday Shabbat Sabbath uh, service. So anybody is welcome to come to that. Um, so there will be people there who are members of the congregation, uh, who are just there because they they go to every Saturday services, and then you have your own guests who. And basically, if you were just one of those people who'd go to Saturday services, you'd be used to this this influx of outsiders coming in as a as guests for a bar mitzvah every Saturday. Sure. So they would be at that ceremony, and then there'd be a brief kind of prayer with a glass of wine and a little piece of honey cake or something like that right afterwards that the members of the congregation, the kind of any strangers could come and partake in. And then we would have a luncheon. In the synagogue, so in, like in the synagogue social hall. And so that's where all of your guests come. And most of the speeches are. And, uh, you know, that. so it's it's everybody, all the kind of the relatives you barely know, friends of your parents and your friends. And my friends, my friends came. I went to school in a suburb where there were very few Jewish kids. I didn't know any. Um, mm. I spent... A couple days a week after school on public transit, getting like taking the bus, taking two buses from my school in Scarborough, which was the eastern eastern reaches of Toronto of the Toronto suburbs, uh, all the way into uh, where where my synagogue was in in Toronto. I hated it. I mean, it just hated this. Every it was twice a week. Get on the on the on the bus. It would take hours. The bus was crowded. The bus was hot and smelled bad. And then you'd go there to this basement of the synagogue, filled with kids I didn't know except for at the synagogue. Like they all came from their schools, kind of in a more Jewish area together, or they'd gone to camp together in the summer, which is another very Jewish thing I did not partake in. So I felt very much like an outsider in that situation. Um, uh, I'm actually embarrassing enough. I I I remember writing an essay um, about uh, the plight of Jews in Scarborough, like as if there was like Jews in the Soviet Union. Um, <laughs> someone because, must someone must save the Scarborough Jews. That's right. I was thinking about it in the shower this morning, thinking, oh, what I meant was me. <laughs> I was. I guess I was. I was. I was thinking about myself a lot at the age of whatever eleven when I wrote that thing. Um, yeah. So, anyways, I you know I got through this. Um, so my friends, when they would come, when they came to my synagogue at where my bar mitzvah was when I was thirteen, that was all incredibly foreign to all of my friends. Um, the whole, the whole ceremony, then the food and the way we lay at, lay out the order of the dishes and the prayers and the speeches, just the whole idea of the event where other kids would grow up going to a ton of other bar mitzvahs. You know, all all of their friends in their class were having their bar and bat mitzvahs over the course of a year and a half, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, mine was probably the only one that most of my friends ever went to until they were adults. So it was a it was very strange for me to see my friends in that context. It was probably really, really weird for them to see me in that con- in the context of like singing in Hebrew and stuff too. But uh, after that luncheon, then we had a barbecue at my house at night, and that was the smaller group. 
So that was like my parents' close friends and my friends. We mostly camped out in the basement and listened to records. And uh, and there was like you know, a barbecue in the backyard. And it was a much smaller group. And we didn't have to dress up. You could just wear nice jeans to that. Nice jeans. Yeah. What records were you listening to? Well, uh, at that time, I would say the most – well, for me, I was a big Beatles fan. So – that was a daring gift. I had some people actually give Beatles records to me uh, mm. for my bar mitzvah. And that's like, that's a, that's a tough thing to give somebody because you don't know which ones they have. They were all ones I didn't have, but there were also ones I wouldn't have bought. Oh. Um, well, somebody give gave us, me- Give us a rundown on what those Beatles records were. Well, one was Beatles 6. Um, oh. Yeah, there's a lot of covers on that. I, I didn't love the non-original you know, it does have Dizzy Miss Lizzie on it, I think, is on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, not my favorite. No, um, and then, sense. but it was nice to have it for a, for a completist. And and I think at that time in my life, I was really focused on the uh, kind of revolver and later records. So the no, kind of. T- the longer haired fellas. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, they also gave, somebody gave me the Help album, which again, not a great Beatles album instrumentals on it and they're not even instrumentals like george martin instrumentals they're instrumentals by some other guy who did the score to help no um yeah not not the finest but it's nice to say i have it and you can look at the pictures um but then i got the beatles love songs which was a a 70s compilation that was laid out this is a perfect bar mitzvah gift actually it was a two album set uh that was in faux vinyl like a very kind of uh, or for faux uh, leather, it looked like the the cover was textured like a like a like a a nice rich uh, library book right. um, with an embossed gold embossed picture of the Beatles and then lyrics on the inside. They were on kind of a heavy um, yellowed kind of paper that looked kind of calligraphic on the inside. So that felt like a special gift and it was all like ballads, which was, you know, seemed to me like maybe I didn't want it, but I listened to that record so much. It was great. It's, it's a great compilation of Beatles ballads. You, you, your friends were a collection of, of, uh, of collectors of, of arcane albums. They didn't go for the Sgt. Peppers or, or Let It Be. They, they dug deep. Well, I think they must have gone, we know that Steve likes the Beatles. He's got to have Sergeant Peppers already. So let's get him the thing he did. Like they knew which one I wasn't going to have. And uh, I appreciate that. And some things, you know, when you give somebody that that record, um, that can really make a difference in the way that they're shaped the rest of their lives. Because they like that record becomes the one that they, that they love the most. That didn't really happen with these ones though. All right, so um, I'm I'm just keeping a registry here uh, on some paper in front of me on on what you received, just in case mm-hmm. you know we need to send out additional thank you notes. Uh, oh, so that was the worst part was the thank you notes. <laughs> like just my mom and my mom was very good at making me write the thank you notes, but handwriting, you know, well, handwriting was easier when you in 1983 because I didn't have an alternative really. I guess I could have typed some of them, but I hand wrote them, and then that was a lot. To yeah. keep it tidy looking and 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 thank each person and keep a record of what they gave you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've got three Arcane Beatles records. Uh, give us a give us a rundown on some of the other memorable gifts you received or or odd gifts that you received for this bar mitzvah. <laughs>
sleepyheads, I want to tell you about another podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It is called Depression Mode with John Moe, which is also my name, John Moe. So I host two shows. Depression Mode with John Moe is about mental health obstacles like depression and anxiety that are way more common than people realize, but don't get talked about nearly enough. On Depression Mode, I interview guests like Jamie Lee Curtis, David Sedaris, Sashir Zameda, as well as mental health experts to share experiences, offer hope, and make everyone feel less alone. Talking about mental health doesn't have to be scary. Sometimes it can even be funny. Depression Mode handles the issues with honesty, candor, and yes, a sense of humor. Depression Mode with John Moe on Maximum Fun, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a rundown on some of the other memorable gifts you received or, or odd gifts that you received for this bar mitzvah. Well, I remember getting a set of the, speaking of the, the, the leather bound, sure. a leather bound set of uh, the works of Shakespeare, oh. um, which uh, have Welcome come to manhood. Yes, exactly. And it absolutely came in handy. I would bring the, I would, they are embossed with, with gold. Um, they were not huge, so they were portable. So when I started do, learning Shakespeare in, you know, in, in high school and university, I kept thinking I should bring my bound books. But I, then I realized that was a stupid thing to do because you need the one that they give you in the classroom because you have to uh, refer to page numbers and you might sure. be underlining things and I wasn't going to do that but they still they've stuck with me okay. and I've I've done a lot of work on strat on uh, Shakespeare plays at the Stratford Festival in Canada um so sometimes I look over at the shelf with my bound Shakespeare books and I think it's cuz of you but that was a along with that was a pair of tickets to see uh Richard II with Brian Bedford at the Stratford Festival. And that was my oh. first exposure to Shakespeare. So this was a this was a set, the leather-bound Shakespeare and tickets to Richard II. Yeah. Nice. Who was the yeah. who were those from? That was from uh, the Reeds. That was from uh, Carolyn and Ferg Reed and their kids, Cameron and uh, Sean and Carrie and uh, Shannon. Okay. Pretty good. Right. I, okay, that's good. I remember that one. That's good. So so far, these are these are gifts that uh, that get a thumbs up from you. The, the yeah. Beatles records and the Shakespeare set. Yeah. So we're we're doing well. What uh, what else did you receive? Mm, well, let's see. I got uh, I got some coffee table books about Canada, okay. um, which is where you lived. Yep. Yeah. And, and Canadians like to give Canadiana to each other, especially back then. Um, I think there was a you know, an attachment to the landscape and the culture, whatever there may be of Canadian culture. Mm. And, but being a 13-year-old, you don't really have a coffee table on which to put these books. Right. Um, and some of them were quite beautiful. You know, I got an atlas. Like, that was a, that was a nice thing to get. Um, mm. But, uh, you know, they're all things that kind of uh, – a lot of books that – reference books that become in the – computer age became kind of obsolete which is fun to look at sometimes but not quite as useful um i did i did do a, a thing where i 
Do you remember that movie Searching, was it called Searching for Sugar Man? Uh, yes. Yeah. Searching for Sugar Man. Yeah, they, they, in that movie, they were looking for him and they opened an atlas and found the mythical town of Dearborn, Michigan. And they like they they zoomed in on it in the atlas as if they had found this unknown town that no one had heard of before, and it's called Dearborn, Michigan, the home of the Ford Motor Company. It was I always thought it was really funny. So I do I have actually opened my my atlas and pointed at the town, city of Dearborn, Michigan. <laughs> it seems like a lot of these gifts that you're receiving are keeping with the spirit that you, a 13-year-old, are now a man. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And That's what perhaps, it's all about. Perhaps you could enjoy these these gifts whilst wearing a smoking jacket and sitting in a in a leather chair. That's ex- exactly right. I'm, I, I, you get all these things and you think, like, what am I going to get uh, a set of pipes? Right. Or at least a nice pipe and a, and a pipe holder and some pipe cleaners and stuff like that. But I didn't get the pipe. Yeah. I was hoping for that. But yes, I, you, I would get things like a um, a tullis, a talit, which is the prayer shawl um, that you wear. You can, you, you're able to wear this when you're reading from the Torah uh, and you're not able to wear one until you actually had your bar mitzvah. So that's a, like, that's a, that's a pretty cool gift to get. I got that from my uncle Howard um, who, you know, put it on my shoulders that day as, and it was like, no, now you are a man. Now you are an adult. And, uh, so I and I still have that. That's the that's the prayer shawl I wear if I ever go to services. So you know, most of these things I don't think I've gotten rid of of almost any of my oh. presents. Um, they're you know they're scattered around my world, but I still have them. Yeah. Um, so and you've gotten some use out of a prayer shawl. Yeah. I mean, you know, occasionally when I'm called when I'm when I'm called to an event, I yeah. at least I know where that is. You can pack that along with you. Exactly. Uh, what we've talked a little bit about you uh, singing or or chanting uh, in in Hebrew at the ceremony. Had your voice changed by this point, or are we getting some squeaks? My voice had not changed. It was a, a lovely high voice, but you know, my voice never really broke. I I think one of the things about that was that um, I sang through it. I mm. started singing. It was right around that time that I started singing in uh, in a choir regularly, the Scarborough Schools Youth Choir, and you know I wasn't in the put in the soprano section with the girls. I was put in the tenor section, and my voice just kind of like found its way in there. And I always was singing along with records and stuff, but I I don't ever remember my voice having that kind of um, that kind of uh, Bobby Peter, Brady squeak yeah. or Peter Brady squeak. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, I think we we're all waiting for that thing to happen. And we know some kids that, that happened to, but, um, but I, I never did. I kind of just eased into it. Hmm. Okay. So we've got our Beatles records, our mm-hmm. leather bound Shakespeare, uh, and tickets to Richard too. uh, coffee table books about Canada. Is it, it's a Canadian thing. Uh, even among Canadians who, who, don't live in Canada, such as yourself, to point out whether somebody is Canadian if they come up in conversation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And this, see, for me as a kid, like, like, uh, yeah, you'd whatever. Someone would be like, "Oh, uh, did you see that episode of uh, SCTV where John Candy is singing the Gone Gone Gone? She's been gone so long." And you go, "Well, you know, all those. That's a Canadian show, right?" And they go, "Yeah, I know that." 
Um, but you just have to like when it's something's really good, you have to say, yeah, that's Canadian. Um, we just we do it, it to a fault. Um, and, and there the was a like, song that they're singing in that is sketch a, is a from Chilliwack, which is a Canadian band. That's right. Um, we uh, so I so I have a, a a side project, a band called the Trans Canada Highwaymen, mm-hmm. which is myself and three other. Canadian lead singers of 90s bands, Mo Berg from The Pursuit of Happiness, uh, Chris Murphy from Sloan, and Craig Northey from The Odds. And we have an album about to drop that is all covers of classic 70s Canadian songs. Like, there is a self-obsession that, like, you couldn't... I don't know if that would have the same kind of kitsch value in America if you were, if you were like... Well, we're called the Trans-Canada Highwaymen. So let's say you were Highwaymen 2, in the United States, and you did like we're going to do American songs from the seventies. It would kind of like ah, might creep me out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But ours feels less creepy and feels a little more goofy. Okay, right. that, is a, that is a Canadian thing. But so for me as a kid, identifying Jewish people, Jewish celebrities, and Jews love to do this. They love to go. You know, you know, you know uh, that uh, uh, Leonard Nimoy's a Jew. Right. Um, you know, or um, and then when you could go, when you could say, "Well, Leonard Cohen, he's a Jew and he's Canadian." It almost made me feel like when you, when you're someone who's Jewish and Canadian, it's it's like maybe my parents knew him. <laughs> they didn't. But, you know, but they he's could ten, have. ten years older than them, and they and he lived in Montreal, but they may as well have. I think we're related to him. Yeah, yeah. I think he held me when I was a baby. It it's it seems likely. My uh, yeah. My parents were were Norwegian. Uh, my my mom's still with us. She's Norwegian, and they were actors. And so, I naturally, Leave Ullman babysat for them one time. <laughs> because if if you're a Scandinavian actor, Leave Ullman needs to be in the picture in in some way. This actually happened. This actually happened. Wow. They describe it more as she watched the baby at a party for a little while, but we go with babysitting because it's funnier. And it was during the it was during the filming of Scenes from a Marriage, which is backstage. <laughs> I like to think it might have been during the filming of the Seventh Seal. And, Perfect. Uh, yeah. They were just left the baby on the beach somewhere. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> certain. Okay, so we we've got these gifts. We've got the the prayer shawl. D- does anybody give you an Atari video game at any point here? No, I I didn't I didn't I never had an Atari. That was one of those things that I was also never that into video games, but they were at other people's houses. And you could certainly say, well, you know, I'm going to so and so's house for a little Atari time, somebody else's house for Intellivision. Sure. And the and the one odd person down the street who would have ColecoVision. ColecoVision. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which was like felt like it was like the RC Cola of of Video games, systems. right, right, right. The, um, uh, the discover card of video that's games. <laughs> that's right. But at that point, uh, I, I think my my dad got us a Vic Twenty right around that time. Mm. Um, a What's Vic a Vic Twenty? Com- oh, it was a Commodore computer that oh. you plugged. It was like you know, some, there was a Commodore PET, which was quite a popular you know beginning of the of the home computing craze. Uh, which was this one-piece computer with the monitor built in and the hard drive, the floppy drive, and so on. But the VIC-20 was a cut-rate version of that. It was it looked like just a computer keyboard that you plugged into a TV screen, and you could program things in like the basic language 
It had some very rudimentary graphics and music, but I I had seen a thing on how Stevie Wonder used computers and the synclavier and so on uh, to, to make music with with computers. So I thought, well, this is great. I'm going to make music with computers like Stevie Wonder. And I remember spending like a week programming just the intro of You Are the Sunshine of My Life, like one note at a time into this thing. It was so boring. And then it happened and it was like too fast and it didn't sound that good. But it was the intro to You Are the Sunshine of My Life. And I thought, ah, I think I'm going to wait for the, I'm going to, I'll wait another 15 years for Pro Tools to come around. <laughs> to catch up with what I want to do a little bit. <laughs> or for catch up with my lack of, lack of talent for that kind of thing or patience. Right, right. It was well, still so fun. It it's it was a lot of fun. It could take forever to it, it could fill a lot of your hours. Uh, the computers of those eras. Um, all right. So so what else was part of your haul for for um, your bar mitzvah? Uh, another popular gift that I got a couple of from different you know friends of my parents would be soapstone carvings. Another piece of Canadiana. They're Inuit uh, carvings that were popularized. I think in the in the mid twentieth century, largely for for a settler market. I mean, they were said they were they were intended to be sold as souvenirs or or objets d'art, but not necessarily collected by uh, the Inuit community, but more to be sold to the white community. Um, but mm. there's some beautiful pieces. So I have some. I have a, a seal and I have an, a gorgeous owl, uh, which uh, fell and part of its wing broke off. Okay, but that's just you know that's part of. The scars of life, I guess. So it's, it's nice to have those those kinds of pieces around. But, you know, the uh, I was thinking about uh, the pen and pencil set that I got. It was a cross pen and pencil set. And you lift it nice. up and they open it up and there's two gold, a, pen, a gold pencil and a gold pen with my name engraved on them. Mm. Um, and I almost never used them because I always thought this is too fancy. I'm going to lose this, and I would, I definitely would have lost it if I'd taken them with me to school or something. I 100% would have lost them. And I've never been good with mechanical pencils. I just break, they're just, I just break those leads instantly. Yeah. So that was just a useless thing. But it's nice to have it with my name on it. So I still have them, but right. I've almost never used them. Um, the, but the my, pen my, still has ink in it. Uh, I've have replaced the uh, the cartridge a few times, but it's okay. yeah, it's a ballpoint. All right. um, probably at the time, I was probably a little disappointed that it wasn't a fountain pen, because hmm. again, that kind of arcane nature of a fountain pen would have appealed to. It still appeals to me, even though I'm not great at writing with it. I like the idea of having it, and it would be more in character with this the theme of the gifts, which is the 66 year old, 13 year old boy. Exactly, which is, I think, what man, I want. Excuse keep, me, the, the 13-year-old man. Man, you're right. The, you're absolutely right. I think part of me, a big part of me, had wished that I would. I woke up that, that morning and looked like Peter Ustinov. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been glorious. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think part of me has chased that. For my whole life. And so that's one one of the glorious things about being in my 50s is they're like, oh, I'm just, I went, I, I went to L.L. Bean the other day and unironically bought jeans. Um, you know, like even in my 40s, I would have thought there's got to be a, got to be, I got to find an excuse to talk about this. But no, this is just, this is just, I like it. It's all working for me now. 
It's it's all coming together. All right. Yeah, and it's not. I'm, I'm not like I'm not going overboard and getting barber stuff from the UK. Like that's that's still dress up. I mean, I'll I'll do it if you want to get it for me. I would wear it. But you know, going to the going to the little big box store around the corner from my house, perfect. I am a man in his fifties. Right, right. It's uh, yeah. It's it's rock star behavior. If if you're doing it, it makes it into rock star behavior. I think that's right. It's when it's it's enough to make the kids say. I'm worried about dad. <laughs> um, I was going to mention though, um, I did, you know, I got other books like the, like my, uh, I got a big thick Hebrew Bible, but not in Hebrew. It was in English, in English. So they call it the Tanakh is what the, the Hebrew word for that is. Um, but it was like, it's white faux leather, more gold, gold embossing. Uh, with gold leaf on the outsides of the pages um, and kind of like it's so thick. It was so thick and kind of useless. Again, I went off to university and I thought, well, you have to have a Bible in university because you're always talking, you know, English and philosophy and history. You're always talking about biblical stuff. I couldn't reference anything in this book. So it wasn't, it, it wasn't really useful, but it's nice to have a big thick thing like that, but it's white. And the mm. whiteness of it is just makes it extra kind of gaudy. Stand out a little more. Do you still have that one? I do, but I, I haven't cracked it in quite some time. I should crack it open and see what it's like on the inside. Hmm. You don't but have it with time. you where you are now. No, I, I think it's back at the house. Okay. All right. But yeah, and uh, yeah, another one, I just I I was able to uh, take a picture of this other one the other day because um, I would. I, Oh, I had posted a picture on the on Instagram of my bar mitzvah, and a, f- a person with whom I have not spoken in probably twenty five years, uh, a woman who was my classmate, uh, who was at my bar mitzvah, said uh, said, "Oh, I can't believe that! I remember that day I gave you Stephen King's Christine, which I realized later was probably not a great gift to give somebody for a sacred occasion like that." And I was like, I still have it right here. It's just, right, you know, the hardcover version of Christine, first edition, sitting on my shelf proudly. Okay. I so was a big Stephen Stephen King fan back then. So you've got a little bit of, of uh, non-highbrow culture uh, mixed in there with your Shakespeare and your, your soapstone carvings. Right. But I didn't, I think I didn't understand that it wasn't highbrow. I mean, because mm. they were big, thick books. You know, right. I just read The Stand not long before that, which is not a great thing for a 12 or 13-year-old to read. Um, but I had already read all the books previous to that. This was the current Stephen King book, so it was like getting something valuable uh, and uh, that had currency in both meanings of the word. And um, I didn't. I don't think I understood that it wasn't considered high art because it was mm-hmm. to me. The Stand is a good book to read if you have all the time in the world. Yeah, that's what summer is for when you're a kid. Ah. Read, read a book that's meant for adults, but, a really, but it has enough bits of gore and sex to keep you turning the page. Keep you turning the pages. Give me a few, Will, your, your top three Stephen King books. Oh, so I honestly didn't after Pet Cemetery, which was the following year. I guess they did. It was Christine Cujo Pet Cemetery. I think is that is the order. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't read another Stephen King book until uh, I was in a li- in a an airport 
in whenever that would have been late 90s, early 2000s. And I had my whatever book I was reading, I had finished it and I was changing planes and I needed a new book. So I picked up On Writing by Stephen oh, King. Right. And it was, it blew my mind because I just thought it was such a great book, uh, a great book about the creative process with, but the biggest thing for me was being an adult and seeing his voice on the page and instantly recognizing it, like feeling as familiar as hearing the Beatles music. Like it mm. was so familiar to read that. So I I really do enjoy reading his books kind of going forward from there. So I, so I love on writing for that reason, for what it did for me then. I think as a kid, the books that moved me the most was I loved The Dead Zone. Mm. And, uh, and I loved... Um, I mean, I loved Salem's Lot. Those are the ones that really kind of turned my crank as a, as a young person. Okay. Well, we'll we'll have a a ranking then of of uh, for young Stephen, Dead Zone, and Salem's Lot for older Stephen on writing. That that brings us to three. Yeah, there you go. That's a top three. Okay. All right. Any other gifts that you received for your bar mitzvah in nineteen eighty three that stand out to you? The best gift I received. I mean. I will tell you, there's two things I'll tell you about. One is um, the most common gift you receive for your bar mitzvah is cash. Sure. You know, cash or a check. Um, and that it, traditionally um, you give it in multiples of 18. 18. And that comes down to the, there's, there's a kind of a Jewish numerology called gematria, which we've now seen the wackos in the QAnon world kind of co-opt wow. along with the, along with the prayer shawl and the shofar and all that kind of stuff. You, you can see these kind of crazies pick up this stuff. So this is like, they use this to say like, um, uh, they'll find meaning in num in, in the numbers that are represented by the letters in their, uh, in their order in the alphabet but they'll do it with the English alphabet, and it's it's nonsense. Hmm. But in in the Hebrew tradition, numbers and letters are the same thing. So chai, hmm. uh, uh, um, which you'll you know when people say lachayim to life, it means life. Chai, it's it's two letters, chet and yud, and then if you add those two letters or two numbers together, it makes eighteen. So eighteen is the is kind of the traditional good luck to life. Um, uh, multiple or multiplier. So $18, $36, if you got a check for that, you'd say, well, that's some, you know, somebody who's acknowledging your date. Um, this is 1983. I don't know what the right, you know, somebody, if somebody gave you $180, you'd think, whoa, yeah. I barely even know this person and they're giving me $180. Like that's like, that's like what your grandparents would give you. Um, and so occasionally there might be some wealthy cousin who's like, yeah, 180 um, yeah. I don't know, like I don't, but I don't know what you give people for their bar mitzvah now. Like my my cousin's kid had her bat mitzvah recently, and um, I didn't know how much money to give, so I thought, well, what did I get for mine? Matching pen and pen set, pencil set, right? That like that's got to that that at least at least must have have maintained its value over the generations. So sure. that I gave that same pen and pencil set that. Almost exactly the same as the one that I barely use to my cousin's daughter in hopes that she keeps it forever and barely uses it as well. Right. So now the burden is shared with her. Mm -hmm. But then when she's in her 50s and she says, what do I get somebody for a bar, bar bat mitzvah? She'll know that's the gift to give. It'll be their cross to bear, so to speak. 
exactly right. I wish there was a Parker um, pun I could make, but I think you you got the one pen pun that there is for this. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just sitting out there. I had to pick it up. <laughs> but there aren't a lot of crosses to bear in the Jewish tradition. No, no. It's, it's Is your cousin's daughter in Canada as well? No, she's not. She's actually in Norway. Oh, they, they were they were living in the UK. They've moved to Norway. So there you go. She's actually living in Norway. Her mother is Norwegian. Oh well, good for her. Yeah, let's see. Let's have some have some connections here. Happening. There you go. So so and her name is Leave Ullman. Leave Ullman, right? And, she, and her your cousin is Ingmar Bergman. Um. So so it was a very common gift to get the cash in eighteen dollar multiples. Yeah. Uh, what was you you referenced the favorite gift that you got? Yes. Absolutely the best one I got. My cousin Toba gave me, and she gave it to me early because uh, I made I, I made the case that I wanted this as a way to kind of learn my bar mitzvah portion. I needed this in order to learn my bar mitzvah portion was a Walkman. This is oh. the this is the age of the Walkman. And I got, it was an off-brand, and it wasn't a Sony Walkman. It was, again, it was gold in color. Mm-hmm. It was the early 80s. There was a lot of gold going on around sure. at that point. But it had a record function as well which was not common with a Walkman. Usually Walkmans were play only. Um, And it also had a little speaker built into it. So you could Uh plug your headphones in or listen out of the speaker like a little portable radio. Um, And uh, I I, I think I had it for about three years until I, I, I smashed it in frustration when I was in high school. Great. My great um, embarrassment. Um, Mm. You know, I was the kind of kind of kid who would, uh, you know, tear up his artwork when it didn't look the way I had imagined it in my head, that kind of thing. And Tortured artist. Yeah, well, yeah, just a uh, kid who didn't know how to express his feelings properly and, mm. you know, needed some work. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I forgive that kid. I forgive that little kid, even though he still embarrasses me a little bit when he comes around. Mm. But um, that, that Walkman provided me with years of comfort and inspiration like nothing else I've ever had. And it's like, I think nothing changed the way. I mean, I loved music before that. I listened to music with headphones on at my at home, but to be able to make myself a mixtape and sit on that bus to Hebrew school or wherever else I'm going and be in my world. We moved uh, when I was 15 out to a Northern suburb that was far away from my friends and far away from my school. So I spent a long time, like 20 minutes walking to the bus in the snow and then get on the bus and take that to the subway to get to school. So there's a lot of time by yourself. And to have that time with music um, was probably the most important thing for me as a kid. And it's, you know, it still shapes who I am. So I, I still think that Walkman was absolutely the greatest gift I could have gotten. What got played the most? What tape got played the most in that Walkman? The first tape I ever bought, like a pre, pre-recorded tape, was Pink Floyd, The Final Cut. Um, mm. I've always had this great idea. I mean, I, I was into Pink Floyd in the sense that I had, um, I had Dark Side of the Moon at home. Right. Um, but we were, at the time, we were living, the year before my bar mitzvah, we were living in Florida with my grandmother in a uh, retirement, Jewish retirement community. Kids weren't supposed to be living there, but we lived there anyways for a year while my dad was doing his doctorate at the University of Miami. Uh, 
And um, so I didn't have my records with me. So you just kind of were stuck with the one or two tapes that you had. So I had, mm. um, I think I had the Beatles Red album on mm. tape. Um, and I had uh, Pink Floyd Final Cut and a few mixtapes that I had made, I think, before I went down there. Um, but that's what I remember listening to nonstop. And I love when you kind of get into it, like as a kid, you get into an artist really re deeply with the wrong album. Like it's yes. not their not their best album, not their biggest album. It's just the one like I, I, it followed right after that. I would buy cassettes that were in the cutout bin because they were mm. cheaper. Two ninety nine. So I got the Talking Heads more songs about buildings and food, not um, uh, not the one um, speaking in tongues that was really popular at the time. Right. Um, I got the one like the second album, which was kind of the least successful one, or uh, uh, the Dexys Midnight Runners. Um, album Don't Stand Me Down from 1985, which was them with the suits. Um, oh, right, right. And it's, Fo a follow up from Touraye. Exactly. And not the as failed follow up. Not, yes. not as popular, but at least as good, if not better. I think it's, you know, these are, because I, I love these records, but they're records I often, you know, I was buying them for $2.99 because then my parents couldn't see me spending my money on records either because they could fit in my coat pocket. Hmm. Okay. Um, so, so you had the gold Walkman, the gold imitation Walkman. Did you use the record feature? Did you start performing into this little device? Oh, sure. I mean, I, I'd be making up songs all the time yeah. or recording stuff off the radio too. would be the other thing. A song would be on the radio or like later I'd be babysitting at some kid's house who had MTV and we didn't have MTV. So I would just hold my Walkman up to the TV and record Der Commissar by Falco. Right. Rock Me Amadeus. Oh, yes. Yeah. All the Falco hits. <laughs> and, then, and then go off to the record store to buy Falco's new album. I wouldn't need to because I have, I, have I have the one I recorded on, on, uh, on my Walkman. That oh, was the okay. thing about like these, when I was a kid at least, and I think it's the case with most people, when, we were, when you work in the record business, they're always talking about high, high fidelity and, you know, bit rates and, uh, you know, recording technology as far, you know, trying to make it as, as, as pleasant to listen to as possible. And I think kids who like music don't care at all. You know, when I was 11, I remember, um, uh, Red uh, Rock Lobster came on the radio mm. and my cousin had recorded it. He'd held his little tape recorder, like a portable tape recorder, pre-Walkman style up to the radio and recorded Rock Lobster off AM radio. And then I took my portable recorder uh, tape recorder held it up to my cousin's tape recorder and recorded his version of Rock Lobster that he had recorded off the AM radio, and I probably listened to it hundreds of times. <laughs> a lot of a lot of ambient sound working its way into those mixes, I think. Oh yes, for sure, and I, I would say and 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 distortion too. Yeah, I think you know now we have plugins to to uh, emulate that distortion that we that we miss from our childhood. And now you had the whole thing. Well, the the gold Walkman certainly sounds outstanding. What's one more gift that you remember that that has stayed with you at least in your mind, if not in your house? So my my bar mitzvah was July ninth of nineteen eighty three, and I got tickets to see Simon and Garfunkel. I guess so two weeks later on their reunion tour at the CNE Grandstand Exhibition Stadium. Uh, 
1983. So that was like, that was a pretty amazing experience to have. Yeah. What was that concert like? It was incredible. And I remember, I guess it's the same time. This was, I look back now, this is when um, Paul Simon had just married Carrie Fisher. Um, they had, uh, he had released his album Hearts and Bones, which was an album that he had recorded and had Art Garfunkel sing the backups on. And then he erased all of Art Garfunkel's backups and did them himself. And I think he had the Everly Brothers do some of it. Um, <laughs> but they still did the songs from that record on this tour. It's the final cut of Paul Simon records. Oh, it's a pretty great record though. That's another one that I really love. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I so love, and I still love Simon and Garf Garfunkel music. So to be able to hear those songs live, um, and it might've been, might've been the first show I'd seen that had like large video screens. Mm. You know, I hadn't been to a lot of concerts at that point, but to, ha to have big video screens was a pretty, was a pretty cool thing. So you felt a little bit more connected to the two tiny specks on stage a million miles away. Mm. But, um, I, uh, I was able to see them then, and then, like, years later, I saw them in St. Paul, actually, at the Excel Energy Arena or whatever. When sure. That early 2000s, I think. And it was, you know, that was nice to see, too. But I was jaded old rock star by then. As a 13-year-old, it was like I got to go with my dad to this Simon and Garfunkel concert in the great outdoors and hear these songs that kind of actually have, that had a, had a life right in front of me there. So Stephen Page, you had an outstanding introduction to manhood at your at your bar mitzvah. These were some these were some excellent, thoughtful gifts, and I'm glad that you that you took the time to write the thank you notes by hand. I'm glad I did too. I, I that is one thing where I look back at my younger self, and I'm I, I'm thankful to my mother for cracking the whip, and I'm mm -hmm. also proud of myself for following through. Stephen Page, thank you for sharing your bar mitzvah with us. Congratulations on, on being a man. Enjoy your soapstone carvings and leather-bound books and coffee table books. And uh, good night. Thank you, John. Good night. Well, sleepyheads, I hope you enjoyed learning about Stephen Page's passage into manhood and his handsome leather-bound books and all his other gifts. You know, something I like to do at the end of my day is make a mental catalog of things that I experienced and or learned. So, if you don't mind, I'm just going to go ahead and put together a list of takeaways from my conversation with Stephen right now while it's fresh in my mind. One, pro tip. If you want a show to fall asleep to, Try older Antiques Roadshow episodes. You can try The Great British Bake Off if you want to roll the dice, but that can prove too exciting. 2. If you're having trouble memorizing the Torah, you might find learning the music first helps. 3. It's better to have the Beatles' six album than not. But if you're buying it as a gift, maybe rethink that choice. Four, the worst part of a bar mitzvah, the thank you notes. Five, coffee table books about Canada can be referred to as Canadiana. 
Six, you know you're a man in your 50s if you unironically purchase a pair of jeans at L.L. Bean. And seven, the best gift you can give a 13-year-old man or woman is a Sony Walkman. Okay, I'm going to turn in myself. Thank you for sleeping with me and my guest, Stephen Page. You can follow Sleeping With Celebrities on Twitter and TikTok with the handle at sleepwithcelebs. On Instagram, the handle is at sleepwcelebs. Our email is sleepwithcelebs at maximumfun.org. Music is provided by The Winterbowers. The show was senior produced and edited by Laura Swisher. Swish. It is a production of Maximum Fun and Papa Chick. I'm John Moe. Night night. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.